Good morning, everybody. Uh, I like these, these uh, fifth Sundays where I get to preach and the kids stay in service. After eight years in kids' ministry, it's weird preaching to a group of people that is not constantly wiggling. So uh, grown-ups, uh, feel free to wiggle like the kids are going to do. That'll just make me feel more at home. Uh, so, you know, I, I will ask you to keep your hands to yourself, but um, well, that's all right. And tell someone if you need to go potty. Um, all right. So kids, uh, today you're with us. You're with the grown-ups, and uh, things are a little bit more boring here. We're still going to talk about God's Word. We're still going to talk about the truth of the gospel and how to apply it to our lives. But next week, we're going to have a bit more fun. We'll be next door. Um, I saw a couple, a couple kids here that I haven't seen before, and I'm excited to meet you and hang out with you. And, uh, and so next week, I'll be teaching just the kids. And uh, sorry, adults, we're going to be having more fun next door than y'all might be having over here. Um, we'll play pool noodle tag and, and, uh, and get to color the whole time. <laughs> so kids, if you, uh, if you haven't met me before, please come introduce yourself after service. I'd love to meet you and talk. And next week, we'll talk about um, part two, what we talked about last week. Kids, we ta- started talking about uh, having a relationship with God and what that means. is how to keep up a relationship with God. If you know him, been saved by his grace, what do you do then? And I love that topic because that's a topic that you, you need to learn and relearn and relearn and remind yourself what you've already learned and then learn some more and then be reminded again of what you already learned your entire life. Our entire life should be marked by a pursuit of God. And I just, I just love how the Holy Spirit leads. You know, we're teaching the same thing to the kids as you guys are going to hear today. Titled this message, Intimacy with God. And on Monday, I had a different title for it, but I was under pressure to get that out. And as I've been studying and reading and writing it down and um, thinking about it, praying about it, this is really what this is about. Intimacy with God. So we're in Haggai 2 today. We're in Haggai 2. A couple weeks ago, we talked through Haggai 1. I'm really glad to be finishing it up. It's only two chapters long, and it's just been a joy to study. It's been a joy to prepare to, to teach to you. We, we taught through it at Restoration, and that was a, a wonderful time of discussion and applying it. And to be able to teach it again has been amazing. They're totally different messages than what I taught to the youth because there's just so much here. And the hardest thing to, to do in teaching Haggai Uh, is to decide on what not to say. I was joking with Sarah last night that it would just be um, necessary to really dig the depths out of Haggai to read to you the whole Bible. I won't do that. That would take almost six days of just constant reading. Nobody wants to do that. Um, (laughs) But the whole Bible really connects to it all. This is such an integral piece in in the big story of the Word of God. And this is a really important thing to say, too, is that the Word of God is, yes, it is a collection of stories. It is a collection of, uh, of historical accounts throughout the ages. There's history, there's poetry, uh, there's prophecy, there's, there's a, there, are, there are personal letters. You know, I'm thinking of uh, the book of Philemon. It's written to just one guy. Uh, there's a lot there. And when you look at the, the, the individual stories, it's hard to... To, to pick out like, okay, what's this whole thing about? It goes from here to here to here to here to here to here to here. But when you take a step back and you put Jesus right in the center of it and you use the gospel as the lens through which you translate this story, you see it's just one big story. It is one story about God creating the world and everything in it. God creating people for His glory. God creating a people for Himself in his image, and those people rebelling against him, deciding that their own plans and purposes were better and more important to them than his, and him not being content with that because of how much he loved them. And so, according to his plan, he set about getting them back. Getting them back. Getting us back. It is not good for us to be fish out of water. We need to be connected to our purpose. It's not good to use this guitar as a fly swatter. It is good to use this guitar to make music. And we were broken away from our purpose. The whole book, book, 
all, 60, all 66 books and two testaments written over 1,400 years by over 40 different guys, all walks of life in three different languages. This is all about that one story. It all revolves around the person of Jesus. And the people here who, are, who, are, who get the message from the prophet Haggai, they depend on God the same way we should. They, they, they got peace with God by grace through faith just like us. It was never about works of the law. That can't ever do it because we're insufficient for that. And I just love that. That's not my official introduction. I just couldn't help it. It's just so important to remember the gospel should, is not just a door you, you walk through to get into Christianity. It's a lifestyle. It is an entire worldview wherein we don't trust the things of the world because they don't satisfy. We only trust in God because He alone is our hope. He alone is our purpose. And He alone is worthy of worship and honor and praise and sacrifice in our entire lives. Oh, Haggai. It's been stirring me up. And I hope you guys feel it too. Um, it's just been amazing. You know, and on mornings like this, I, you know, I, I didn't sleep well last night. I'm kind of dragging my feet physically. But then you open up God's word and you remember his grace. And it just, oh, lights the fire again. I can be bouncy again because this, this hope. You guys feel that? There it is. There it is. So let's get into Haggai too. Oh, I love that. All right, so real quick, summary. Uh, at the beginning of the sixth month, um, God sends a message to the people saying, hey, it's been 16 years and you're saying it's not time to build the temple? What's up? That's why I've sent you a drought. The people have been going through hardship for 16 years. Nothing's producing like it should. They're planting, they're watering, nothing's coming out. They've got barely enough to, to scratch a living. They've been working on their own homes and obsessed with their own security. God says, uh, you have left my house in shambles, but you've run to your own houses. And, and God stirred up their hearts and they repented. He stirred up their hearts. They showed reverence for the Lord. They obeyed. They hit the mountains. They pulled down wood and started working on the house of the Lord. That's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. We talked about repentance and the lifestyle of repentance and how we need to turn away from idols constantly. They're in front of us. We can see them. We can hear them. They surround us. We are in a land filled with idols and we serve an invisible God. And so we need to be in a pattern of repentance where we turn away from those things that have captured our heart and captivated us more than Christ has. And we need to be in a pattern like like they needed to be, of, of checking ourselves and turning back to the Lord, forsaking the idols and turning to our true object of worship. Okay, Haggai 2. There we go. And on the 21st of the seventh month, just pause here real quick, and I love, I love that they give us dates. This is now a couple weeks after the 10 days of Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Booths and uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That one day a year where the priests would enter the Holy of Holies. And it was so um, important. Uh, that, that doesn't quite cover it. Uh, what's important times infinity? What's the word for that? I don't know. You guys can look it up later. Important times infinity. The fact that they were going into the presence of God um, and the threat that that had against those who might be impure led them to tie a rope around the high priest's ankle just in case he dropped dead in the presence of God, they'd be able to drag him out because they couldn't go in after him. It was super important, but they didn't have a temple. They, uh, they would have stayed in booths and, uh, as a reminder of their time wandering around in the desert. Um, they had a, a kind of a meager harvest in which to, to, to feast from. Uh, and offer food sacrifices. Uh, this is hard times, but the people trusted the Lord. They repented and they went to work. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? 
But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. On the 24th of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now for the priests a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any, touches any of these, Will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, It will become unclean. Then Haggai said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now do consider from this day onward, before the stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord. From that time when one came, uh, when, when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there would only be 10. And when one came to wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would only be 20. I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting winds, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider this. Do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it has not, yet, it has not borne fruit, yet from this day on I will bless you. Then the word of the Lord came, a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will over, overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, we read that all in one go. At least I do. I like reading long chunks of Scripture, as you guys probably know. <clears throat> but these people got this in a few chunks. Uh, so they got, they got their chapter 1. They got that weeks and weeks ago. Then they get one here. And then, a, and then a while later, a few weeks later, they get, or a month later, they get another one. Uh, or two months, rather. They get another one, and then, uh, then they get another one. These are called oracles. Uh, that's the official term for them, which, which just means like packets of prophecy, oracles of God. It's not this like spooky, we got to go visit the oracle. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just packets of prophecy that God gave you. And sometimes those prophecy about, our prophecies are about the future. Sometimes they're about the present. But they're always authoritative and accurate. Packets of prophecy, oracles. So these people are working on the temple. Uh, and this is really important to remember that the temple... Uh, was not for God, it was for them. It was not for God, it was for them. If God wanted a temple, he could make a temple like that. He made the Grand Canyon, he made Palouse Falls, he can do it just like that. Uh, he, the people needed the temple. The temple was a reminder, was, a, was a, a symbol and a location where God met with his people. Where God was with his people and the people were with their God. Where they could be made pure to be there with him. They become, they, they offer their sacrifices, they get cleansed, they, they go for repentance and praise and worship. That's where they met together. And those who lived far from the temple, twice a year would come back to the temple. That was so important. <clears throat> the temple being destroyed, the temple being destroyed was similar to Adam and Eve falling and being cast out of the garden. It severed a relationship between God and man. It broke that. God does something amazing here. He does something that uh, the people didn't deserve. He's with them. He's with them. That's a beautiful, 
beautiful thing. When, when all hope would seem lost, when there's no temple, there's no place to go, there's no, there's no place to go to make your sacrifices on Day of Atonement, there's no place to go to be cleansed, to repent, there's no place to go. Like where, like God, that would be where you go to see God, to be with God. And it's gone. But God says, I am with you. Because he is all about being with us. And it starts, it starts out with him asking, uh, who, who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And all the elders who, who had been youth when they, when they left, uh, when, the temple, when the original temple was destroyed before they were exiled, before they were taken captives, they remembered the glories of that Old Testament, Solomon's, uh, of that old temple, Solomon's temple. Outside of it was that eternal flame. And they knew that on the inside was that ark and the vessels and Aaron's staff and, and that jar of manna. Like it was all there. And, and, they, and, and the glorious things that happened in that temple and, and through that temple. There's so much potential for them to be disappointed now that uh, it, the temples diminished. But that's, that's once again looking at material, worldly stuff. And making that the object of focus. So God challenges their, their heart in this too, saying, but now take courage. Why would, why, would, why would a temple being diminished in its glory mean that they need courage? Because again, that was the, their, their earthly symbol for God's being with them. And if the new temple is diminished in glory, does that mean that the relationship with God is diminished? And what does that do to the promises he's made to the people? He made grand promises. Is that diminished too? Not a chance. Take courage. Their security is not in the temple. It's not in the gold. It's not in the silver. It's not in the, the, uh, the processes of the law and the ceremonies. That was never their foundation. That's the cart. The horse is the grace of God pulling that. Take courage. Take courage, he says. I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts, it, did, you, did you notice when I read that earlier, how many times that's repeated? The Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, declares the Lord of hosts, declares the Lord of hosts. It's over and over and over and over to the point where you think, maybe he's trying to get at something here. And I think he's trying to get at something here. As for the promise which I made when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. God keeps his promises absolutely without fail. In fact, he's the only one that has the integrity and the power to promise something and make sure that it comes true. I could promise, I could promise my kid when I get home, I'll say hi to him. But what happens if I'm on my way home and I, and I, and I get in a wreck? I won't be able to say hi to my son. Like, I don't have the power to fulfill my own promises because I'm not sovereign. But who is the Lord of hosts? God keeps his promises. He tells them to take courage and he reminds them of his power. Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land also. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the, go the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. He is reminding them that he is the God of the mountain that shakes the earth with his voice like thunder. He is reminding them that he is the object. It's not the means of worship that's the priority. It's the object of worship that's the priority. And he's reminding them, I am the Lord of hosts. I keep my promises. Take courage. I am with you. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. If you're going into battle and I said I am with you, maybe shaking your boots a little bit. I'm a chill guy. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a warrior. But if God says he's with you, take courage. Take courage. But how could the, the glory of the latter temple be greater than the former? 
Solomon's temple was a beautiful thing to behold, but in this new temple that they're building, however smaller or empty it may seem, it is in that temple when Jesus Christ, eight days old, is going to be dedicated to the Lord. Whoa! The glory of this latter temple will far exceed the glory of the former. Jesus Christ himself, eight days old, is going to be dedicated in this temple that they're building. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. What a timely message as we're approaching Christmas time. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How did that happen? It happened by Jesus Christ coming down. Dedicated in this new temple that they're working on. And all this makes me think of how C.S. Lewis described Aslan. If you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan's this giant lion. Fierce roar, big teeth, huge paws, heavy, big, scary lion. And one of the kids asked Mr. Beaver, is he safe? Mr. Beaver says, safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He is the king. God is reminding them that God's not safe, but he is good. And he keeps his promises. And this temple is a symbol. It's just a symbol. It's not the object of worship. It's where you go to worship the object of worship. God shaking the heavens and the earth and the seas and the dry lands isn't threatening to those who have placed their trust in him. It's actually comforting. It's comforting. So when you're in a drought, or when your temple is destroyed, or whatever. There's no need to fear. The God who shakes the heavens and the earth is going to keep his promises to you who have put your trust in him. So reminding yourself of God's power and might and uh, terrifying characteristics is a comfort. It should shake those who are proud apart from him, and it should comfort those who know that they have nothing without him. Of course, he's not safe, but he's good. And the fact that he is king of kings and lord of lords and that all the earth is his to do with what he wants is not scary. It shouldn't challenge your own sovereignty over your life. It should be such a relief and a blessing to remember that we're not the shepherd. We're the sheep. We get to be just a dumb sheep and follow the shepherd. We get to just relax and not worry about the plan of the nations, not worry about how this is all going to shake out, not worrying about the future, not worrying about the weekend, not worrying, not worrying. God has made promises that he will keep. God is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and everything is his. So when these poor people start building a glorious house for the Lord, they have no reason to fear. See, the temptation that led them to abandon the temple in the first place hasn't gone away. We have no, uh, there's, there's nothing that leads us to think that those people who didn't want the temple built are now like, oh yeah, it's cool, you can build the temple now. I'm cool with it. They still have the same daily struggles. It's not like all of a sudden what they've harvested is now more. I mean, they still have these hardships, but, but everything has Everything, needs to, everything has to change inside. Um, as they remember the Lord, their God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, they still, they're still there. They still have to work and build the temple. They still have their own families to take care of. They, st- they, mean, they still are out of this stuff, but it's different. Because no longer are they apart from the Lord. But God is with them now. I think of James 4.8 where it says, Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And immediately after, it talks about turning away from impurity. Uh, And that's what happened here. The people turned away from their idolatry and turned back to God. And then then they found that the burdens of life, the things of this world, are now growing strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The God who shakes the mountains is with them. And then God reminds them, as for the promise I made, When you came out of Egypt, 
My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Now, he's, that's, just, that's just one phrase, and that carries a lot of weight for the people of Israel. A lot of weight. The Egyptian enslavement of their people and the freeing of, of slavery, going through the Red Sea and finding their way out into uh, to the desert where God gave the law through Moses, was pivotal. It was constantly remembered by the people, no matter what time of year it was, but especially now after they've celebrated the Feast of Booze, where that's the whole point of it, is to remember their time in the desert after God had brought them out of slavery. Now, we need to go through this just in brief because they would have understood the depth of significance here. And I want you to hear the gospel in all of this. The people were enslaved by the Egyptians hundreds of years, forced to work for hundreds of years, masters that whipped them and forced them to work for their own purposes. Even though they were numerous, they were enslaved and captives. No choice but to work for their cruel masters. They were broken. God heard their cry and loved his people. And he sent Moses to free them. God spoke what Moses spoke what God gave him to say, and God moved Pharaoh to let his people go, showing his power and killing the firstborn of those who didn't take shelter under the blood of the Lamb. And then after their release from slavery, God brought them through the waters of the Red Sea, sealing his victory on their behalf against the army that had kept them in chains. And on the other side of the water, God gave them a lifestyle that was different than all the nations of the earth to live by in faith and thanks and praise to God as living sacrifices, so to speak. He gave them laws on how to please him, on how to worship him, how to stay pure. And he gave them these laws to get them ready for the Savior who would, through Jesus Christ, do all these things that he had just done for them, but bigger, better, more complete, in a more full way where he would free us from slavery to an evil master that wants to whip us to death, doing what we could never do, bringing us out and saving us by a power that's not our own, not because we're so righteous, but because he is so good, and bringing us through the waters to live a lifestyle that is different than all the nations, a lifestyle that totally depends on God and totally trusts in God. And no matter what the nations say, we're going to do this because our God is the Lord and we are his people. God made promises to them to bless the nations through them. God gave promises that the day would come when these things, these, the, the burden of the law would be fulfilled in the Messiah and there would be freedom, true, proper, spiritual freedom. And that God would be with them because they are his people. Deuteronomy 6? Don't quote me on that. Maybe 16. There's a passage in Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy something 7 through 8 where it talks about how God is telling the people. I know I should have written it down. Uh, it was such a good verse. I didn't think I'd pull it out, but I'm going to. Here it is. Where God reminds the people, it's not because you guys are so impressive that I chose you. It's because I love you. That's the Mosaic Covenant in a nutshell. God saved them so they could freely worship him. God saved them and gave them uh, a lifestyle to live that was different. Absolutely different. Okay, so um, I'm feeling a little ADD today, so you're going to get a little trivia fact. Did you know it was only about like 130, 140 years ago that scientists really discovered that washing your hands was effective in preventing diseases? Uh, you know, this doctor, uh, he was a maternity doctor delivering babies, and he found that the mothers were way healthier and lived much uh, um, more regularly when he washed his hands. Uh, but back in Leviticus, what did God tell the priest to do? Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Um, I just think that's so cool. Sorry, a um, little trivia over. Uh, <laughs> eight years in kids ministry. You got to roll with the ADD moments. Um, but God, um, <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind. Uh, so there you go. Um, now the question needs to be asked. Um, oh, no, we already, we already covered that. <clears throat> so God has reminded them of his covenant, the covenant that he made uh, with his people. And so when he says that the glory of this house is greater than the former, they would have understood that. 
they would have they would have they would have seen they would have remembered that promise for the future that promise for the future of the establishment of the kingdom of God in a different way the fulfillment of the law and the prophets huge and God gave them then a couple months to think on that he gave the people a couple months to, to internalize that and to remember his promises, to remember who it is that was speaking those promises, who it is that can fulfill those promises, who it is to look forward to. They had time to remember the history of their people, kind of like we're doing this morning, and renew their trust in God, the Lord of hosts, the one who shakes the heavens and the earth. And then God spoke again. A couple months later, 24th of the ninth month, whereas before it was the 21st of the seventh month, now we're on the 24th of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask now your, the priests for a ruling. Kind of like a riddle, but God asked the priests to, to, to interpret for, for him the law that he had gave them. Now, this is a obviously teaching them, reminding them a lesson. He doesn't need to hear the answer. They need to hear themselves give the answer. If a man carries holy meat and the fold of his garment and touches bread with the fold or cooked food or wine or oil or any other food, will it become holy? No. I would agree. And I'm not an expert in the Old Testament law like they were. I would agree. Um, that seems pretty clean, pretty clear. And then he said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priests answered, it will become unclean. Uh, and what does this mean? It means in brief, that impurity spreads like fire. Impurity spreads. It catches. But holiness is different. Holiness is different. Like I've talked about, this whole thing, Haggai, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the whole Bible, is about this. Holiness is from God alone. What is it that makes something clean? The blessing of God. How would they become clean? They would go to the temple where God is and they would do what God has prescribed in faith, trusting that then after doing that, they would become clean because of what God had said. But when you touch that holy thing onto something else, that thing doesn't become holy. Why? Because God hasn't directly moved on that thing. But impurity spreads and catches. Why? We're in a fallen world. We're, we're living in a dying world. In dying bodies. All this needs to be destroyed, wrapped up, put away with, done for, and remade at the end of all things. And God reminds them, so is this people. And so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. They haven't had the temple. Instead, they've had their own plans and priorities. They've been away from God. Haven't been worshiping and serving Him. They've been worshiping and serving themselves. They are unclean. And the only way to get clean is not by proximal association. It's not by like someone just walking by and getting, some, getting you with some holy water. It's intimacy with God. That's what produces holiness and purity for the people. Intimacy with God. They needed the temple to be intimate with God again. They needed the temple to be clean and pure again. They had no reverence for God. His home was in shambles. They weren't trusting him for food or shelter. God had never failed them and they were acting as if he had. They had forgotten the most important things, even the covenant he had made with Moses, that like most pivotal part of their history needed to be reminded of. And what happened when they, in that darkest state, since their exile, 
What happened when they repented, when they turned from their idols and turned back to their God? They found him there. They found him there. God wanted to be with his people. God is not far from us. Acts 17, Paul's talking on Mars Hill to these Gentile philosophers saying, God made you to want to seek him. To grope in the darkness, hoping that you might find him, but he's not far from each one of us. Even more so to those whom are his. We are his people. Like the people here, we're his people. And we're actually closer than they ever could have been. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us. Thank you, God, for making us the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have intimacy with God. We can have intimacy with God no matter where we go. No longer having to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem a couple times a year to find that. We can walk around with intimacy with God. But that intimacy with God is the only way to be pure and righteous and holy. It is the only way. And you can't, you cannot expect intimacy with God while you are intimate with um, God's opponents, while you are intimate with uh, something you love more than him. See, as the bride of Christ, just like they were the people of God and he demanded their purity, in fact, he gave an entire prophet the message. His life was an object lesson. Talking about Hosea, an object lesson for the people's wandering eyes away from who is their true husband. See, we are the bride of Christ and we got wandering eyes and wandering affections. The people had wandering eyes and wandering affections and God is reminding them what they already knew. Just like I'm reminding you of what you already know. You can't serve two masters. The church is the bride of Christ. and We got to be faithful. God reminded them. He brought it up again. What happened? Everything you did was unclean. Everything. That's why, that's why I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting winds, mildew, and hail. He didn't want his people going to somebody else. He didn't want his people loving or serving or worshiping anything else. They were his. He wanted to be theirs for his glory and for their good. That's what they were made for. That's what they were brought out of Egypt for. That's why God made the promises to them that wasn't dependent on their behavior or ability to obey. It was just based on his love, his grace and mercy. The Lord of hosts has done a thing for us that we will never be able to deserve. We were unlovely and he made us lovely. We were unlovable and yet he loved us. We were unclean. And when Jesus touched us, he didn't become unclean. We became clean. The people here turned around and God was there saying, I am with you. Take courage. When you were apart from me, there was no good there. It was unclean. You were spreading uncleanliness everywhere you went. And for us, anything done apart from faith is sin. That's Romans 14. All our good, all our good works, when done to, to the praise or, the, or to try to glorify something else besides our holy God, those aren't good works. Those aren't good works. See, good fruit, good fruit doesn't come from a bad tree. Good fruit doesn't come from a bad branch. What did Jesus say about intimacy with God? If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the people were doing a lot. It was all a bunch of bad fruit. We can do a lot. Like the church in Ephesus called out in Revelation where God says, hey, you're doing a lot, but you don't love me. So when God says take courage and work here, he's not saying take courage and then go back and keep working on your houses. He's not saying take courage and go back and worry about the harvest. He's not saying take courage and go do these other things, these impure things. He's saying take courage and work. What? What was the work? To build his house. To pursue intimacy with God. 
by loving and obeying him. Pursuing intimacy with God was their work. The temple's being built. The people are again building that symbol of intimacy with God. God reminded them of, uh, of what happened when they were apart from that purpose. The reason why he made them and saved them. And then, uh, verse 18, do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. Harvest wasn't over. There was still stuff to do. And God has changed things for them. Where there was drought, there will now be plenty. Where there was struggle, there will now be uh, blessing. Where there was pain and sorrow, there is comfort and joy now because they have turned their hearts back to God. The temple is still wrecked. They're building it. (laughs) But God is there. And they've drawn near to God. He's drawn near to them. There's comfort. There is blessing. There is hope. Love. Love that. For all of you who feel hopeless, who feel down, who feel like everywhere you turn, you're struggling, you're fighting. Everywhere you turn, you're getting beat up by this or that, by the nations that rage, neighbors that rage, the weather Diseases that rage. If you're feeling distant from God in your heart, that's not permanent. If you belong to the Lord, that can change in a moment. You're not stuck. You were only stuck when you were a slave to sin. For those of you who have been redeemed by our Savior, your heart is not static. Turn to God. Intimacy with God is just right there. You, church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells with you. Walk in the Spirit and you won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. Instead, you will find contentment and satisfaction. You will find purity. You will find our faithful God right there. Don't despair, church. Take courage. He is with you. Take courage. The God who shakes the mountains is with you, and he has promised good things for you. He has blessings for you, not just in the life to come, but right now. God had reminded them of their future promises, looking forward to the Savior, looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward to the the temple being finished, looking forward to a lot of things, but also he's looking at them right now, saying, hey, from this day on, I'll bless you. It'll be all right. You still got time in your harvest. It's going to be okay. I know winter's coming. I'm the Lord of hosts. I made all this stuff. I got it. I got it. It may not look like nothing's on your tree now, but I made them all with a word at the beginning. (laughs) They need to remember who he is because that informs their trust in his promises. That informs their understanding of who they are. And that reminds them that they are the sheep of his pasture, the people of his hand. They're not their own. They were bought with a price. Hmm. Finally, God has a message for Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. And he's giving him a picture far, far, far in the future when finally all of this All of this will be complete. When that day comes, when all of this is complete and all of this melts away and we are remade and there's a new heaven and a new earth, um, there will be a proof to Zerubbabel. Now we got to go back in history a little bit because what happened a long time ago was Jehoiakim you guys remember Jehoiakim? Yeah, Jehoiakim. There's Jehoiachin. Jehoiakim 
um, during his, his ruling, the people, this is why they went into exile and, uh, and, and uh, captivity in the first place, is that God, uh, they had abandoned their, their God, the, the true worship of the true God. They had decided to, to leave him behind and pursue other things. And God told, uh, God said that he was um, removing that signet ring. And for 70 years, there wasn't a ruler of the people that was from the Davidic line of kings. And what happened now, because the, the pillars of the people of Israel were the, the temple and the priesthood and the kingship. The kingship was essential because that was just immediately connected with their hope in the gospel, the promises of God to come. See, as they trusted in Jesus to come, we trust in Jesus already came. And I, I guess we're still, we're, we're still looking forward to Jesus coming too. Um, but he, does the, he, he says something to Zerubbabel, who is from the Davidic line, even though he's just a governor, not a king. They're still under another nation. They're not completely independent yet. God reminds Zerubbabel of himself. I'm going to overthrow the thrones and the kingdoms, destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. On that day, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. God hasn't abandoned any one of his promises. Not one. <clears throat> this leader of the people is being uh, reminded of his place at the same time. That yes, he is the governor, but it is God who will overthrow the kingdoms and the nations and the powers, even down to the foot soldiers and the cavalry. God is in charge. I, it's, it's a bit of a cautionary um, encouragement for Zerubbabel. There wasn't a, a, a lot of good, good examples in the in the history of kingship over the people, in the history of the rulers. Lots of bad ones. Lots, lots of kings who did what was right in their own eyes. But it points once again to the whole message of Haggai, the whole message of the Old Testament, the whole message of the Bible. You can summarize it like this. God is God, and we are not. Sin wrecked things. And God made a way for us to be with him again. We were made for him, and we ran away, and he chased us down. He sought us and bought us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. Church, intimacy with God is the most important thing. Abide with him. Abide in him as he is in you. Be a faithful bride of Christ. From there will flow righteousness and purity. From there will flow comfort and joy. From there will flow the streams of life. You will be like a tree planted by streams of water. The seasons will go in and out, but your leaf will never wither. Why? You will always prosper in whatever you do. Why? Because your roots are in the stream. Your roots are firmly planted by streams of water. That is intimacy with God. Like a good sheep following his shepherd. Doesn't matter if you're in the green pastures by quiet waters in the valley of the shadow of death. You've got nothing to fear. Who is with you? The Lord of hosts. You are not stuck. You suffering Christian, you are not stuck. God is near. You are not stuck. There is no pattern that God cannot pull you out of. After 16 years of struggling to make ends meet, 16 years without intimacy with God, their fates changed. Weeks, in just a couple weeks, the nation, the fate of this nation changed. They turned to God and God was there. 
In closing, I want to read to you uh, the text of my favorite kid's book. This is Full Moon Rising by Christy and Tom Flaherty. Dear God, I heard a cosmic story and wondered if it's true. The moon was stealing glory, and this is what he'd do. He bragged each night that his great might could make the darkness flee. And like a kite, he scaled the heights and said, hey, look at me. The pompous moon would only croon the songs that praised his name. He hoped that soon the cosmic tunes would bring him greater fame. It's really strange, but he could change his shape throughout the year. His face would change, then rearrange, and sometimes disappear. He loved the thought that astronauts had danced across his face, and cosmonauts and monkey knots would visit him in space. He bragged that he could cause the sea to rise and swell each day. Then all could see how mightily he'd pull the waves away. He'd boast away and love to say, I am the greatest light, until one day a piercing ray showed him a shocking sight. He saw his pride, and then he cried for all he had done. For he had lied when he denied his light came from the sun. So now each night a new delight is what he loves the most. Reflecting light with all his might, the sun is now his boast. So God, I pray for grace each day to find the joy that's true in all my days and all my ways in making much of you. Take courage, church. Work. People are dying out there and we got to bring him Jesus. He is our hope, the Lord of hosts, the rock of ages. Take courage and work. Pursue that intimacy with God above all else. That's what your heart needs. That's what your heart wants. Oh, praise the Lord for his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, Father God, for being who you are, for loving us despite who we are. Thank you, God, for making us new creations. Thank you, God, for bringing us close to you. Thank you, God, for coming to get us. Thank you, God, for freeing us from the slavery to sin, and that cruel master that wants to beat us to death, and yet you, by the blood of the Lamb, have covered that for us. You have saved us. You have freed us. And God, you are all our hearts were made for, all our hearts desire. You, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who shakes the whole earth. All of it is yours, Father God, and yet you know our names and you love us. I pray, Father God, that we are captivated by you. I pray, Father God, that we turn to you, that we don't let ourselves despair, become complacent, that we don't give in to the uh, deception of idols. Keep us strong. Keep us courageous. Help us work, God. Help us bring the, your gospel to the nations so that others can be saved and redeemed and find their hope in you like we have. Please don't let us be tricked into thinking the things of this world are the goal. But God, I pray that we will make you our boast. Help us be yours entirely. We love you, God, and we need you a lot. And I thank you so much for being with us. <sighs> Amen.